This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Cameras and, and talking to the press and sort of get his, his message out there, right? Interesting, yes. And knows it'll be played back now, which it has been in the U.S. Uh, as he just, you know, arrives back. And it was a shortened trip, yep. too. So you get to continue on that front. But anyway, no, you have a big interview with Governor DeSantis and much more. Yeah. So have a good show tonight. All right. Great show, Connor. We'll catch you tomorrow. Hello and welcome to the Hill. There is movement up on Capitol Hill today, and we're not talking about the speaker's race. Protesters calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, taking to a main congressional office building right next to the Capitol. Police making arrests. We are live in the halls with the very latest. And sirens ringing earlier today in Tel Aviv as President Biden wrapped up his trip to Israel, as we were just talking about. So how was that viewed in the Middle East? We'll take you there live coming up. Plus our one-on-one with the Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Biden uh, said he's sending $100 million to the Gaza Strip. Hamas runs the Gaza Strip. That is going to be commandeered by Hamas. And oh, by the way, Hamas is still holding people hostage. They're still holding Americans hostage. I would not send that money. What the governor thinks of a possible $100 billion aid package as well, and his message to Republicans. This was interesting, as there still isn't a Speaker of the House. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. not believe it is only Wednesday. It has been quite the week. Good to have you all in, though. Uh, and thank you for being with us here on The Hill. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by a great panel, Chris Steyerwald, of course, is News Nation's political editor and a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Lauren Wright is an associate research scholar and lecturer in politics and public affairs at Princeton University. Sherry Bustos, in person with us today, former Democratic Congresswoman from the state of Illinois, and Julia Manchester, national political reporter for The Hill. Hello to you all. Lots to get to. There are uh, even more tensions up on Capitol Hill today as the conflict continues in the Middle East. News Nation's Robert Sherman is standing by in Tel Aviv with the latest on the war there. We'll get to him in a second. But first, let's head on up to The Hill. Uh, Joe Khalil has been there the last couple hours as protests have been breaking out in the halls of the Capitol. Joe Kay, what's going on there? Yeah, so the protesters came in here around 2 o'clock. They are still here, mind you, in much fewer numbers because one by one they've been getting arrested and being carried out. And you can see that is actually still happening. People are being arrested as I'm talking to you. Uh, This is a group uh, that is called Jewish Voice for Peace. It's actually a very pro-Palestinian, anti-Israeli government group. And they've been demanding a ceasefire. They've been demanding that members of Congress sign on to Rashida Tlaib's, uh, 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 what she is putting forward now, her resolution calling for a ceasefire. Uh, I I can tell you, I've seen half a dozen of these over the past year or so. This one was the largest one when they came in. Uh, They weren't, you know, 
disruptive, but, you know, as as uh, protests go, they came in, they did their thing, wouldn't move, and they were being arrested. We did hear, however, three were arrested and charged with assaulting an officer. So, obviously, that very serious here, Blake. Uh, now, as, as you see, it's sort of clearing up. This is a visceral reminder, though, as we're here covering the speaker's race, What's going on in the Middle East, the tension there, how much emotion it is evoking here in this building and around the country, and really a very visceral reminder to lawmakers as to why they need a Speaker of the House, uh, because that war is still going on. And at some point, if aid is to be distributed, new aid approved and appropriated, uh, we're going to need a Speaker. Yeah. All right. Joe Khalil live for us. In the halls of the Capitol, Joe, stand by. If there's any developments, let us know. By the way, we're they're at that location for a reason. Where Joe is standing, that is where all the reporters do their live shots. They wanted to get before the cameras, and that's exactly what they got today. All right, turning now to News Nation's national correspondent, Robert Sherman, halfway uh, across the globe, standing by for us in Tel Aviv. Once again, Robert, uh, President Biden has come and gone from Israel, now over the Atlantic, headed back here to Washington. You know, we, we heard from the president a little while ago, but I'm wondering how that trip was received where you're standing in the heart of the Middle East in Israel. Some of the imagery really speaks for itself, Blake, is, is that when the president did arrive here today and begin his remarks, there wasn't a screen that we could find that didn't have the president's face plastered all over it. People were listening to what the president had to say on his phone, on the televisions that are in the restaurant here very keenly interested in what the president had to say and how he would stand by the people of Israel. What was also interesting was when the president left. Air Force One had wheels up. It had been a pretty quiet day here today. No missile strikes in Tel Aviv, no sirens going off. And shortly after the president had wheels up in Air Force One, we were in and out of the bomb shelters here two, t two or three times here this, this evening. You started to see a lot more activity here as well. A very stark contrast between when the president was here and when he had left, which really just underscores the tensions that Joe is talking about that are here in the Middle East right now. It's all over the place. We saw demonstrations taking place in Yemen, in Jordan, in Iraq, in Iran. Beirut, Lebanon was some of the craziest scenes that we saw today in which uh, forces had to be brought in in order to dispel the crowds there and had to uh, break up the demonstrations that were taking place there outside the United States embassy, might I add, as well. So it just goes to show that there's a lot of anger that is on the ground here. And that anger has not been quelled by the information that came out from President Biden, from the NSC, finding that that explosion in Gaza was likely not caused by Israeli uh, no surprises here, Blake. That did not yeah. relieve the tension in the region. Blake? Oh, I can only imagine. All right, Robert Sherman live for us once again in Tel Aviv. Robert, thank you. Well, today, during President Biden's meeting with his Israeli counterpart, the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, in Tel Aviv, he emphasized America's continued, continued support in the war. He also suggested that he will call on Congress to pass a, quote-unquote, unprecedented support package. We're going to make sure we have what you have what you need to protect your people, to defend your nation. For decades, we've ensured Israel's qualitative military edge. And later this week, I'm going to ask the United States Congress for an unprecedented support package for Israel's defense. Hello, all. You guys ready to do this? <laughs> it's been a busy day. Uh, Bloomberg headline. 
Quote, Biden plans to ask Congress for $100 billion in Ukraine-Israel aid. Julia, Ukraine, Israel. <laughs> that's going to be the tricky part here. Well, and that's so interesting because I think both of these foreign policy topics have exposed rifts in both parties, maybe bigger with Republicans in Ukraine. But you are certainly seeing, especially with talk about and calls for a ceasefire by Cori Bush and Rashida Tlaib, there is definitely a, a divide as to how much the U.S. should be given to Israel within the Republic, within the Democratic Party, excuse me. So I'm curious to see how these rifts uh, impact this overall effort to give $100 billion over. You guys ready for me to drop something on you? Okay. Uh, in the inbox, statement from the press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre. Tomorrow, President Biden will address the nation to discuss Whoa. our response to Hamas's terrorist attacks against Israel and Russia's ongoing brutal war against Ukraine. The speech will be delivered from the Oval Office at 8 p.m. Eastern. Whoa, there you go. prime time address. That's the, <clears throat> that's the toughest stage in politics. It is absolutely the most powerful stage in politics, but it is the toughest one. And we have seen both President Trump and President Obama fail in that setting. It is a really tough setting. It's lonesome behind that big desk, behind that resolute desk. For Joe Biden to take the mic at this, and he has had some very un uneven performances as the communicator in chief, uh, I guess he must understand that this is the moment where the Republican Party is splintered, where the Republican Party is fractured, and the national will is behind him that he's really going to go for it here. Because it's what we started talking about, and Russia's ongoing brutal war against Ukraine. It sounds like the White House is about to set the stage for a massive package linking both, Sherry. Well, I, I, the president has to ask them to be linked together because you've got now this growing objection on the Republican side of the aisle not to support Ukraine. Um, th this, is, this is about democracy in Europe. This is now about democracy, our, our greatest friend, our, our greatest ally in the Middle East. This is, we've got this going on, and we don't have a Speaker of the House. Uh, president Biden is actually filling a void that we have now in Washington, D.C. to by addressing the nation. You said, though, that he has important. to link it. Does he have to? Well, because that's going to practically, as Sherry's saying, yes, right. he does have to. But I actually think he's on a roll. I think the primetime address is a good idea. I've been very impressed with how clear he's been on Israel. And by the way, that's not easy because in the Democratic Party is where he has problems with Israel. You know, there's been polling just this week that shows a third of Democrats blame both sides for the violence last weekend. Less than a quarter of them think that Israel and protecting it is a top policy priority. These are real problems. Biden is going against his party. I think he's standing up and doing a good job, and he should keep going. And one thing to... Oh, sorry, Congresswoman. Well, I don't yeah. think he's going <laughs> you against... You defer to the Congresswoman. <laughs> Just real quickly, though. I don't yeah. think he's going against his party. I think it's a minority of Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives who... Are, are not wholeheartedly with Israel. But the gap between them and the 60% of Republicans is is very, very striking. And those, I'm sorry, were not Republicans protesting in the cannon building just now. You know, I, I mean, think he, just not. he does have to link these two issues together for another reason, and that's Iran. You know, whether we like it or not, these two conflicts are somehow literally linked together through Iran. Remember, this is in a way an East versus West thing. You have have Russia that um, you know works with Iran. You have questions about how involved Iran was in the terror attack on October seventh in Israel. So he's—I I expect him to essentially make that 
argument. All right. So President Biden today suggested that he could go to Congress the upcoming days asking for an aid package to help support Israel. But right now, it's unclear how that could even happen, as there still isn't a Speaker of the House. Republicans are acknowledging that needs to change. That crisis is on us now. We may get a request almost any time to act. We need to be able to act. But in a vote earlier today, Jim Jordan fell short for a second time, and the path forward, for him at least, remains unclear. Republican Congressman Mike Lawler of New York has voted against Jordan twice now, and he joins us live. Congressman, good to talk to you as always. Let's start with seemingly this, this news coming out of the White House of a primetime address tomorrow from the President of the United States on, quote, Hamas's terrorist attacks against Israel and Russia's ongoing brutal war against Ukraine. Do you think what is coming here is a major request for both from a financial side? Well, I think obviously the White House has already intimated uh, that they're looking for uh, a major request that would include both Israel uh, and Ukraine aid uh, and potentially also deal with uh, the border. But uh, we'll have to see, obviously, what the president says in his address tomorrow. Uh, ultimately, Congress needs to get back to work. There's no question about that. Uh, and unfortunately, we would not be in this situation uh, if eight Republicans did not team up with 208 Democrats uh, to paralyze the House and create this chaos by removing Speaker McCarthy. Uh, Democrats don't get to wash their hands of this mess. Uh, they voted for it because they thought it would give them political advantage. Uh, and obviously you had eight Republicans who put their personal grievances ahead of the conference. Uh, it is obviously a difficult situation right now. We do not have consensus on a uh, speaker yeah. choice. I still believe Kevin McCarthy is the right person to be speaker and to lead this so house let's forward. So let's, let's, let's pause uh, but there. Ultimately, well, what's the... Yeah, what's the pressure on you like right now, Congressman? Because you think it should be Kevin McCarthy. The, the, the conference has moved in another direction. Has Jim Jordan called you? Have his, have his staff called you? What's that? Take us behind the scenes a little bit. What's that pressure been like? I've spoken with Jim uh, multiple times and had very direct and frank conversations. Uh, ultimately, if the consensus is there... Uh, we need to move forward, but it's not there. Uh, and it's not a function of me or any one of my colleagues. There is over 20 and growing a number of people who do not want uh, to, to move forward here. So the issue ahead is obviously building consensus. But as I've said repeatedly over the last two weeks, it doesn't really matter whether it's Jim Jordan, Steve Scalise, or Kevin McCarthy. If the folks in my conference who throughout the course of the year have undermined the majority by voting down rules, by voting against McCarthy, by moving to vacate the chair, uh, if they don't realize that they have to compromise within the conference, it's very difficult to get to 218 on any yeah, number so of issues, way, including so appropriations, including aid to Ukraine. So, yeah, so what's the well, way, the way out? out if, 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 Jim Jordan, if Jim Jordan cannot build the consensus... He needs to step aside. Uh, and, and it's that simple. If you don't have the votes, you have to move out of the way for the good of the conference. And right now, we need to get back to work. I think it's imperative that we empower Patrick McHenry 
uh, to serve as speaker temporarily uh, with all the power associated with it so that we can move legislation on the House floor. Uh, to wait any longer uh, is obviously problematic and it keeps the House paralyzed and we just yeah. can't let that happen. Uh, Congressman, this is on, this, the result. on this possibility. Again, this I, is the I, result of this, this, this is the result of 208 Democrats and eight Republicans voting to vacate the chair. You don't do that in the middle of a term without just cause. And that's why yeah. we're in this and, situation. And, and, and I know you, you, you mentioned the 208 Democrats, but to be clear for the audience at home, Republicans run the House of Representatives, and that's that's what started this whole thing. But before we go, um, you wouldn't, I, I you wanna... wouldn't, have, you would not. Well, hold on, hold on. You would not have removed the Speaker without 208 Democrats teaming up with eight Republicans. It's that simple. Oh, that they could have yeah, done no, right by the country. They chose to put politics ahead of the country. Period. No, yeah, no, that's a fact. I'm just noting for the folks at home, Congressman, that you know Repu Republicans do control the House. It's their way out of this mess, and, and I think fair to say probably the, the ones who, who got everyone into it, at least on that side of the chamber. But I, I, I want to ask you on this $100 billion possibility that's being floated out there, if it, it links aid to Israel and aid to Ukraine, is that something that you would support? Look, I support uh, aid to Ukraine. I have uh, in every vote I've taken on the House floor. Uh, but I don't think we should be necessarily linking the two together. Uh, we need okay. to build consensus. If there is consensus to do it, great. If not, I do not want to hold up aid to Israel while we work through the aid to Ukraine. Congressman Mike Lawler, always appreciate the time, sir. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have you on back soon. Thank you. Thank you. What'd you make of that, Julia? <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, this is a lawmaker who is in a very competitive swing district next year. Um, you know, it's notable that he voted no against Jordan twice, given the fact that Democrats have already telegraphed that they are going to tie every Republican who votes for Jordan to Donald Trump and Jordan's refusal to accept the 2020 presidential election results. So I think what you saw there was someone who's walking a very, very fine line going into an election year. I think it was interesting that he said, I don't think we should be linking the two together, but he also doesn't want to hold up the process. And that's the conundrum here, potentially, right? Yeah, I mean, look, he makes some great points about the dysfunction and even some of the political points, but I totally disagree that it doesn't make a difference whether it's Jordan or McCarthy or Scalise. Actually, those three people are extraordinarily different. I mean, one of them, Jordan, already lost a race to McCarthy in 2018 for minority leader, 159 to 43. He got trounced. He denies the election. He wants to defund the DOJ. These are not mainstream positions, even among Republicans. Yeah, Jim Jordan would be the worst decision to have a Speaker of the House. Um, for every reason that you just said, election denier wanted to overturn a free and fair election. So you kind of you are longing for the days of Kevin McCarthy, no, huh? No, I am not. I am not. But, but also what Congressman Lawler said, trying to blame Democrats for Kevin McCarthy not being in the Speaker's chair, right. is absolutely wrong. Right. Um, and so thank you for pointing out that it is Republicans who run the House of Representatives. Steyerwalt. Yes. Um, they voted no to Jim Jordan coming up, so who are they? We'll get your thoughts momentarily as Steyerwalt breaks it down coming up after the break. And our one-on-one -on -one with the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. 
and voters want to see results. So I think they need to get their act together and focus on the American people. DeSantis's warning to Republicans and what he would do in the Middle East as the commander-in-chief. The Hill on News Nation on a very busy news day. Back in a few. All right, welcome back here on the Hill. So one of the other major stories here in Washington, House Republicans trying to trying to scramble to, to find a path forward, try to nominate a Speaker of the House. He's, he's kind of saw me get into it there with the, uh, the congressman from New York here to dig into the 22 no votes that Jim Jordan received today on the second ballot. Chris Steyerwalt, Steyerwalt. Break it down for us. How do, how do you how do you see this? Okay, so think uh, a picture. So you have the United States as a whole. Okay. <clears throat> and in the 2020 election, it was uh, more Democratic than it was Republican in the nation as a whole. Of course, that's not how we elect the president. Right. But we have more Democratic voters than we do Republican voters. So every congressional district has its own weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> the Cook Political Report came up with the term partisan vote index. And that's how much more or less Republican or Democrat any district in the United States is than the country as a whole. So I want you to take a look at this first group of 11 House members who voted for someone other than Jim Jordan. And here's what you should note. All of those 11 people come from districts that are more Democratic than the nation as a whole or very close to average. So these are Democratic districts, uh, uh, Anthony D'Esposito from New York, Mike Lawler, who you talked to, Mm -hmm. and on down the list. So these are districts either that uh, vote Democratic on the presidential level or that Republicans win by very small margins. And we can see on the numbers there, it's basically plus or minus five, right? Right. So So this is, these are R plus five or less for Republicans. Why don't they want Jim Jordan? Well, our colleagues already talked about that because he'd be a hot garbage fire for Republicans (laughs) in competitive districts. Because instead of putting forward issues that people want to talk about that are generally popular uh, and working, uh, being tough on Joe Biden, but legislating, well, what would Jim Jordan do? Uh, Joe Biden has a couple of dogs who bit people. I assume they would have to be impeached also. uh, And it would go on and on and on. And it would be investigation after investigation and shutdown after shutdown. So So that makes sense. Yeah, so I would look at that and say, okay, 11, you can only lose five. Ah, yes, ah, yes. But this is why Styrowall breaks it down for us. So check out the next 11. Look at these 11. And this will tell you why Jim Jordan is in the situation he is. Look at the magic numbers under those folks. You have members in districts from an R plus seven, pretty Republican, all the way up to an R plus 18, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if old Scratch himself was running on the on the Republican side, he could win in Drew Ferguson's Georgia <laughs> district, right? Georgia three is going Republican no matter what. And still this guy is voting against Jim Jordan. Mm. This tells you how hard it is for Jordan to get out of where he is because the other thing you should know about the people who are on that screen, mm-hmm. they're serious people. There's appropriators. There's grown-up people. These are people who are conservative Republicans. There's not an ideological valence to this list. And as our colleagues alluded to, some of this is personal antipathy towards Jim Jordan, who's been a real jerk to a lot of people in the House. But it's also just a right. frustration with people who use what John Boehner used to call terrorist tactics right. in the House. They get control of the process, and then they want these people to behave. And these people are telling uh, Jim Jordan, how do you like it now? How do you like it when the shoe's on the other foot? Sometimes I'll call Styrowall and I'll be like, what do you think? And I'll just sit back and listen. Let and it I, flow. Let it flow. Let and it I flow, get the brother. download and I say, huh, 
I learned something. <laughs> Steyerwalt breaks it down. Interesting way to think about it. All right, coming up, my one-on-one -on -one interview with the GOP presidential candidate, Ron DeSantis, what he would do about the war in the Middle East, plus what he's saying about those Republicans who seemingly can't figure out who the next Speaker of the House should be. We will speak with the Florida governor next as The Hill on News Nation returns. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. The war between Israel and Hamas is now shaping the 2024 presidential race. Among the most vocal on the Republican side is the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. Earlier today, I spoke with the governor about the war, his thoughts on the mess in Congress, and Donald Trump. A lot going on in the world. We obviously want to start on, on Israel and the ongoings in the Middle East. Uh, you, of course, want to be the next commander-in-chief. The current one is on his way back from Israel. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if, if you give President Biden credit for going and, and how you view his trip in Israel over the last 24 hours or so. Well, I would say he needs to do a couple things that he hasn't done yet. One is he needs to impose financial sanctions on Iran to the maximum extent allowable under law. Iran ultimately orchestrated and funded this. Uh, groups like Hamas and Hezbollah would not be able to function the way they do without the patronage of the Iranians. I think Biden still holds out hope that there can be a rapprochement with the Iranians. That is not going to happen. So I would do that. Second thing, uh, I would back Israel publicly, which he has done. But I think privately they're urging more restraint. And to me, this has to end with Hamas uh, suffering an unconditional defeat. Uh, Israel cannot live like this where they suffered the most significant attack against Jews since the Holocaust and act like that's something that could just happen again in the future. So they have to take care of that. Uh, I would not be urging restraint behind the scenes. I would tell them to get the job done. And then finally, Biden uh, said he's sending $100 million to the Gaza Strip for, quote, humanitarian assistance. The problem with that is Hamas runs the Gaza Strip. That is going to be commandeered by Hamas. And oh, by the way, Hamas is still holding people hostage. They're still holding Americans hostage. I would not send that money. And I've actually challenged all the other Republican presidential candidates to uh, step up to the plate and join me in saying, don't send money to Hamas. You know, you talk about Iran. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham told us on this program last week, I believe, that if there was an escalation, he would let it be known to the Iranians that the Iranian oil infrastructure should be in play. Us targeting the, uh, the uh, oil fields and the oil infrastructure there in Iran. Are you willing to go that far? Look, as commander-in-chief, you don't have the luxury of the bellicose rhetoric like that. Um, I think that it's in U.S. interest that Israel wins the fight against Hamas. Uh, I don't think we necessarily want to instigate a, a broader war throughout the Middle East. I think that we can put Iran in the box uh, using the leverage that we have uh, without trying to, to create a major regional conflict. So uh, you've got to be judicious. You've got to be very measured as the president of the United States. And I think it's easy to say, you know, just start taking out all this stuff around the world. But in reality is, you know, there are second and third order effects that happen to that. Right. But put Iran in the box. I think that that'll make a big difference. Would you put U.S. troops on the ground, Governor DeSantis, uh, boots on the ground in Israel if you were the commander in chief right now? Not general ground troops. No, I mean, I think there's American hostages I think it's largely the IDF's handling that. Uh, I would have 
American resources to rescue Americans because I think that that's something that's important you do as commander in chief. But ultimately, this is so special, so special forces in strong, play for you then. Or others who can be involved in, in hostage rescue attempts. And there, there may be something where this is being done by Israel, and that wouldn't be necessary. All that, of course, would be something that would be, be classified in secret as it should be. But in terms of the overall conflict, this is Israel's war. They've never asked us to fight their wars for them. Uh, we have a longstanding military uh, support relationship. I would continue that. But you wouldn't see uh, U.S. ground troops uh, uh, fighting in, in Israel uh, if I were president. President Biden today, when he was uh, in Israel, governor, talked about an unprecedented package, an unprecedented support package. He said that he would put before Congress potentially by the end of this week. There's the there's the question, and it could potentially be in the neighborhood. There are reports of $100 billion or so, which then brings into play um, maybe aid for Ukraine. If there is Ukrainian aid in a in a major support package that is linked to help for Israel, is that something that you would support? And is that something that you think Republicans in this town should should support? Well, I think the Republicans will ensure that it's separate. I think those should be separate debates. Uh, I'll have to see. The, I did see that top line number. Uh, I was surprised at that number because if you look, we've done about $158 billion to uh, Israel for its entire history, 75 years, and we've had a strong relationship with them for most of that period of time. Uh, and so I, I'd be interested to see kind of where that money is going. I don't think Israel is requesting anything on that magnitude. Uh, so, so what's appropriate you know, when, it's, when it's specific? Yeah, when it's specific to Israel, um, I, I know it's just a theoretical number, sir, at this point. But but since you're surprised at the hundred billion for well, but it matters, package. though. I mean, I do think it, but I do think it matters. I mean, you know, we have a Congress that has plunged this country into debt over the last five or six years in rates that we have never seen before, uh, starting with COVID and continuing to do it, and it's almost like they think that there's never going to be any cost to this. Uh, and so I do think the top line number, look, we're going to meet obligations to defend the American people. But man, throwing out stuff like that. So I, I want to see what it is. But I think these are separate debates. I think they're separate okay. issues. And I think the Republicans in the Congress will uh, approach it accordingly. You're a Harvard grad, uh, as, as you very well know. And, and there's been a, a pretty big issue at your former alma mater. Uh, Bill Ackman had you know, hedge fund uh, billionaire made some news where he essentially said, put your name behind it to the students, the pro-Palestinian uh, demonstrators uh, in at Harvard University. Put your name behind it, he said, basically, so we on Wall Street know not to hire you. I'm, I'm wondering, Governor, um, if, if there are those who take place, uh, take part in pro-Palestinian demonstrations, would you hire them to be a part of of your administration in Florida? Would you hire them if you end up being the president of the United States? Well, what I saw was not just pro-Palestinian. I mean, those were pro-Hamas demonstrations. I mean, when the blood wasn't even dry on the Israelis that had been massacred, you have these Harvard students and other people and other universities out celebrating the carnage by Hamas. And so, of course, I would not hire people who have done that. Look, I tell people I'm one of the few guys that got through both Yale and Harvard and came out more conservative than when I went in because <laughs> these have typically been very liberal places. However, back in my day, it was very liberal, but I would never have saw students 
that would have been celebrating actual terrorist attacks. And that's what we saw. And they signed their so names Ackman to got letters. It right. right in, he, he did get it right, and I think we need to start having accountability in academia. Uh, these universities have gone totally off the rails. The response to a lot of them have been so tepid uh, when they get all bent out of shape for other issues, and yet this issue, they can't speak out. Uh, and I know there's a lot of Jewish students around the country that don't feel, feel like nobody has got their back on these college campuses. I will say this, though, in Florida, you look at the University of Florida's president, Florida State, they came out very strongly uh, condemned the terrorist attacks and said that we're going to have uh, positive environments on our campuses for all of our Jewish students. That's the way we roll in Florida, and I was proud to see that. Governor, you, of course, at one point were, were Mr. Congressman, and you know what's going on here in Washington uh, with your party right now in the House. I wonder how you feel about it. Are you embarrassed? Are you ashamed? Are you upset? Are you like, like what's the... What's the sentiment, sir, as, as you watch what's going on in the House with your party? Well, I was hoping that Jim would get Jim Jordan would get elected. Um, you know, he has my support. I think he could do a good job. But, you know, what I see is just a contrast between what's going on in D.C. and how we roll in Florida. We don't do political empty calories down here. We don't do the sideshow. We don't do the drama. We just deliver results across the board, and we've been able to do that on so many issues from paying down debt, cutting taxes, school choice, uh, standing up to the CCP, you name it. Heck, we just brought people back from Israel when everyone else was dragging yeah. their feet. We no. got it done. And I think, I think the problem with what they're doing in D.C. is, there, is the, the drama is not leading to any results. So it's like they're chickens with their head cut off. They can't get their act together. Meanwhile, we've got an open border. We've got rising prices. We've got issues with crime in the streets. And, of course, you now have more instability around the world. And voters want to see results. So I think yeah. they need to get their act together and focus on the American people. Stop the palace intrigue and deliver results for your constituents. That's how we've you know, led in Florida. And, oh, by the way, when I'm president, that is the type of framework we're going to work, for, work from in D.C. You mentioned drama. Um, Governor, you have ramped up the attacks against Donald Trump in, in essentially here the recent weeks. There was a time when you weren't really going after him. You were focusing on yourself and other issues, but that has changed here in the recent weeks. Are you going to ramp it up uh, going forward here as we head toward Iowa? Well, I've always responded to his attacks throughout the whole campaign. I've held them accountable on different things. But I do think when he's saying things like in Iowa the other day that, well, you know, he couldn't follow his campaign promise to have Mexico build the border, pay for the border wall, because there was, quote, no legal mechanism he could have used to have Mexico pay. So he's rationalizing that failure. The problem is that was his main campaign promise. I was at the rallies. It was fun. Everyone was cheering that. And the, the second thing is there actually was a way he could have done that. He could have imposed fees, and I will do this as president. You could have imposed fees on the remittances that people send to foreign countries, Mexico included. But why, that wasn't, this the message, why wasn't this the message from you two or three months ago? What's that? Well, why here's the deal. This, the message this is just from what you? he said. But this is just what he said a couple weeks ago that I'm responding to. And I think it's important because that was his core campaign promise. You look at what Biden's done with that border if he had followed through and built the wall, it would have been much more difficult to, for Biden to get away with what's happened. I think everyone sees what's happened in Israel 
And then they see people demonstrating in favor of Hamas here in the United States. Then they know there's been 7 million people that have come across the border. I think we're all very concerned about the security of this country, uh, given that. So when he's saying that he couldn't get the job done, look, I want to send the message. I will get the job done. I'm not going to make excuses. We're done with the excuses. We've got to figure out a way to do it. uh, And I will deal with the border. I'll have the wall. We'll take on the drug cartels. Uh, which is really what should have happened a long time ago. Governor, got to leave it there. Thank you for your time, sir. See you in South Carolina tomorrow night. See you later. All right, so you heard me mention South Carolina there. Tomorrow night, I'll be moderating a forum with Ron DeSantis and the former Arkansas governor, Asa Hutchinson. It's sponsored by the Republican Women's Federation of South Carolina and North Carolina. You can catch some of our conversations from tomorrow night here on the Hill on Friday. So what did the panel make of that interview with Ron DeSantis? Their thoughts on the other side of the break. Back in a moment. Show me that smile. Show me that smile. Different strokes it takes. Different strokes it takes. Different strokes to move the world. Okay, do you sense a theme here? Your favorite sitcoms from the 80s and 90s are all in one place. Rewind TV. Just go to rewindtv.com and check it out. Through Travis Mannion Foundation's Operation Legacy Service Projects, veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians across the country come together under the common cause to serve in honor of our nation's heroes. Service projects include city beautifications, planting memorial trees, volunteering at shelters, park cleanups, and more. Ask yourself, if not me, then who? And register for a project near you or as a virtual volunteer by visiting oplegacy.org. I'm a wife and the mother of two kids. And when I get to work in the precinct house and put on my uniform, I can tell you, as a police officer, we're building partnerships. This should be happening everywhere. So the police should be reaching out to this community. And this community should reach out to the police. That's the way to make this a safer place. Start the conversation and help stop crime. To learn the five things you can do, go to ncpc.org slash preventviolentcrime. A message from the National Crime Prevention Council and the Bureau of Justice Assistance. Ma, is this how you feed a hamster? Uh, I think so. Is my homework right? Hmm, I think so. Is uh, this milk still good? Uh, I think so. When it comes to parenting, sometimes it's okay to think you know. But when it's something as important as your child's car seat, don't just think. No. Double check if your child is in the right seat for their age and size. It'll help protect them in a car crash. Don't just think. No. By visiting NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is Nick Smith. Get my podcast in the mix at NewsNationNow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the Go. I'm Ashley Banfield. To get America's fastest growing news channel on your screen, go to joinnn.com. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the Go. I'm Leland Vittert, delivering fact based, unbiased news from all sides. 
TheHill.com is the trusted leader for political news information and opinion. Free online, TheHill.com brings you the latest news, video, and insights from Washington, impacting you and your family. TheHill.com gives context to the nation's most critical issues with unbiased, nonpartisan news from Capitol Hill, the campaign trail, and across the country. Read what our nation's leaders read, watch the latest events, and sign up for daily newsletters. Stay connected to the players. Visit TheHill.com and watch The Hill Show on News Nation every day at 5 Eastern, 4 Central. New Dove Men Body Wash gives 24 hours of nourishing micro-moisture. That means your skin feels healthy and smooth from your morning workout playlist to the podcast that gets you through your multiple bus and subway commute to the relaxing dinner background music you play for your date all the way through to the white noise that helps you sleep. Get healthier, smoother feeling skin all day with new Dove Men Plus Care Body Wash. No young person should ever have to worry about having a safe place to sleep at night or whether anyone cares about them. But the reality is one in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For over 50 years, Covenant House has been helping youth in crisis and giving them the support and tools they need to succeed in life. To learn more, go to covenanthouse.org today. Thank you for caring. This is your captain. We are going to be experiencing some slight turbulence. Please fasten your... Oh, hold on. Just got a video of my cat. Imagine the pilot of an airplane was as confident as you are texting and driving. Seems kind of crazy when you put it like that. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. All right, welcome back. So before the break, we heard from the Florida Governor Ron DeSantis discussing the ongoing war, uh, the chaos in Congress, and his campaign against Donald Trump. What'd you all make of it, Chris? Uh, the dog that did not bark. Uh, the music between the notes was Nikki Haley. Okay. Uh, so DeSantis, when he launched his campaign, uh, had a series of errors on foreign policy. Uh, when he was sucking up to Elon Musk and going around and doing and, and experimenting with a sort of isolationist approach on foreign policy, uh, thinking that he was going to go after Donald Trump voters, uh, his core supporters, traditional conservatives, were outraged, right? Remember when he referred to the war in Ukraine as a regional conflict? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people said, what did you say? So right now, he doesn't have a Donald Trump problem. He's got a Nikki Haley problem. Mm-hmm. Nikki Haley's gaining momentum. He's going down to South Carolina to take questions yep. from you. Because Nikki Haley uh, you and foreign policy, all the foreign policy news helps Nikki Haley. He's got to find a way to deal with her. And I heard a candidate trying to find a way to deal with an opponent who has a strength where he has a weakness. But the relevant comparison, I think, is Donald Trump. And I was watching this getting a little depressed because... Ron DeSantis can answer the questions. He knows the issues. He's basically very competent, and he is almost certainly not going to be the Republican nominee. The guy with an ultra-simplistic worldview who does not know the issues, as we saw this week, will probably be the GOP's nominee. But I'd like to comment briefly on the academic swamp as a, as a member of the swamp. <laughs> Uh, that DeSantis was talking about. I'm just glad you, you it, said that I wasn't the one that made you depressed. But go, yeah, on, but yeah. go on. No, not today. Uh, but, you know, I, I disagree with him on the free speech issue. I think the purpose of a university fundamentally is to foster free speech. And that includes 
idiotic and offensive remarks that need to be said out loud in public and dismantled in public for all to see. That's how bad, dangerous ideas go away. And so I think his tight grip on the universities in Florida is mm. not a direction I'd go in, but I agree the conduct of universities was very embarrassing this week, and that was on full display. Agree, agree, and I think the highlight, no doubt, of that interview was you, Blake. Oh, oh. come on. No, give me some analysis. Oh, no, 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 give me some analysis. I, okay, let's see. So he said I, he would speak out against um, Hamas and be pro-Israel. President Biden gave one of the best speeches of his career denouncing Hamas and saying, Israel is our, our greatest friend. So he did what uh, what uh, DeSantis said that he would do. Julia? Yeah, look, to tack on to what Chris said about Nikki Haley, I think it's interesting because we have seen the rhetoric between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis attack yeah. each other really heat up recently. And on foreign policy, look, I think it's been interesting to listen to Ron DeSantis on this because with a lot of the other issues, he's very far to the right on this issue of Israel and foreign policy, in particular with Israel. I thought it was notable earlier this week, he talked about how he didn't want to take in refugees from God because mm -hmm. Palestinians are all anti-Semitic. Pretty uh, jarring remarks from him. All right. Well, looking ahead to next hour, Elizabeth Vargas reports is uh, eight minutes away right now. Elizabeth joins us live. Hello, Elizabeth. Uh, Hi there. I hear you spoke with the. I heard you spoke with the former ambassador to Israel. Tell us about it. What you got coming up? Well, we talked a lot about sort of this information war that's now happening. Um, you know, Israel took a few hours to come out with a denial that it was uh, behind the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza and then took about, about a total of six hours before it started providing the proof. Keep in mind, Hamas never provided any proof at all that it was Israel right. uh, that they say was behind the attack. We're going to talk about the fact that that delay really allowed uh, many uh, in Hamas and in the Arab world to take hold of the narrative. And now that it's, it's out there and, and catching fire, that the genie's out of the bottle. So he's obviously mm. no the Mideast very well. He's in Jerusalem, actually, uh, tonight when we speak to him all about that whole information uh, war that's going on and the battle for control of the narrative, especially uh, as we're seeing this evidence that, you know, U.S. intelligence yeah. that agencies are saying it's preliminary, but they have high confidence, which is pretty high for them to say yep. that it's not moderate, high confidence that, in fact, it was a rocket from Islamic Jihad. Uh, loved your interview with Governor DeSantis, Blake. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was nice to get, get to finally talk to him. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I think it's the first time he's been on the network since he's declared as a candidate. And so he, lots of questions. And Yeah, he's got that. a lot of interviews to make up for all that time he has, he's been at. He didn't give <laughs> he a lot does. of interviews for a long time. So uh, if this is the if new his staff is If his staff is watching, do Elizabeth's show next. She's got this. <laughs> thanks for the plug, Blake. <laughs> a lot to ask. All right, Elizabeth, thanks. We'll catch you in about six minutes' time. See you then. And uh, you can watch Elizabeth Vargas report 6 o'clock Eastern right here on News Nation. Well, coming up, dramatic footage released by the Pentagon showing Chinese aircraft intercepting U.S. warplanes. Have you seen this video? We'll show you more on the other side. Israel at war. Tensions continue to flare up here in the Middle East. Senior officials saying that they are prepared for a ground invasion. There is a war here. This is the only way it can be played out. For continuing coverage of Israel at war, stay tuned to News Nation. All right, so before we go, did you see this? The Pentagon has now released videos of Chinese aircraft intercepting U.S. warplanes. Here's the video. This one was uh, actually in December of last year. For context, 
There have been more than 180 incidents involving uh, stuff like this since 2021. This is actually, by the way, 20 feet away. It's a good reminder. Oh, by the way, with everything that's going on, there's still the China issue out there, and it's a, it's a big one. The world will not indulge the temper tantrums and incompetencies of the American political class. Hmm. And uh, we do not have as much slack in the line as we'd like to think. All right. I totally agree. Got to leave it there. Yeah. Thank you. Busy day, consequential day. Governor Ron DeSantis joining us. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow from South Carolina. We're bringing the show on the road. See you at 5 o'clock Eastern. Until then, Elizabeth Vargas Reports is up next. And Elizabeth starts right now.